Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology is changing lives and our world. It allows people to become parents who never thought it was possible in ways that they never thought were possible. We are here to tell the stories that go way beyond that technology, real lives, real people, how they are touched and change every day. I am Jennifer White. I am the co-host of this podcast. I uh, juggle being a parent, uh, a military wife who uh, may or may not be moving uh, across the country under the direction of said military, and also somehow find time to be the director of Bright Futures Families, which is Colorado surrogacy, Montana surrogacy, and New Mexico surrogacy, along with my awesome and incredible and equally busy sister, Ellen Trackman. Oh, you flatter me. And I'm Ellen Trackman. Jennifer White's little sister and an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law and uh, the founder of Trackman Law Center, which helps with the legal aspects of surrogacy, egg, sperm, embryo donation. And today is a very special interview. They're all special, but today is especially special. Um, I actually feel like we got so lucky that we're interviewing superstars that I should be getting autographs. So the two people that we are interviewing today are in a movie. So they um, made a documentary about their own personal story of infertility and kind of all of the drama and the bumps in the road and the heartbreak and the joy. It's incredibly personal. It's in it's an amazing thing that they documented this and so, so, per- so touching. Um, I, I sobbed, so get ready to sob when you, when you do watch the documentary. So Maya and Noah are here and I'm excited to talk to them. We're here today with very special guests, um, Maya Grobel and Noah Moskin, who I was so fortunate to meet at the American Fertility Expo when they were screening their documentary, The One More Shot. So I got to meet them briefly in person, and the documentary is incredibly moving and amazing, and they're just such open, incredible people to be able to share such an intimate story um, with everyone through this documentary. And I want to be able to talk with them further about, about their story and sharing with others and making such a difference for those going through this. So Noah and Maya, welcome. And do you want to give short intros of yourself as well? Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was, um, it was great to meet you the other day. Short intros about ourselves. No, you want to start? (laughs) We're in Uh, a separate room, so (laughs) we can't make eye contact. So (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm Noah, I'm the husband, and um, I guess I was the director and one of the producers on the movie, right. and the co-star. So, yeah, okay. um, <laughs> it's a lot, it, it was a See, lot I to do. I never say star, I always no, say subject. <laughs> like, I don't like the word I star. Like subject. Supporting <laughs> role, I don't know. Subject. If you're, if you're yes. up for an Oscar, would you say it's a lead or supporting? Uh, oh, I was definitely supporting. <laughs> I was definitely supporting. Maya is the lead in all of this. <laughs> And I would say I'm the director. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm the difficult director. Ugh. <laughs> I'm the, the, I don't know, what do you call it? The, the driver. <laughs> um, so, and I'm Maya. I am the subject of this film. And um, I've written about and sort of been in the 
infertility landscape for quite some time. We started trying in 2010, and I think I started writing and blogging about our experience uh, around 2012 when we really started the, you know, dove into the abyss of assisted baby making and what that all meant. So, um, so I've been doing that, and now, and I'm actually a I'm a psychotherapist in Los Angeles. So I now work in the I'm in the mental health field. So I now work primarily with um, infertility patients, supporting them and you know, seeing different people in different stages of trying to figure out this infamous journey to parenthood. And that's, you didn't, you didn't focus on that before this journey. That's kind of came. No, I didn't know what infertility was before this journey. I I was a therapist. I worked with kids and families. I actually worked at a place called the Child and Family Development Center, ironically. And I was like, I can't develop a child or family. Oh no. Doing that for for many years. And then um, after, you know, my our sort of situation was resolved a bit. Um, I transitioned a bit and, you know, joined ASRM and, you know, took different courses and stuff like that so that I can, um, you know, now provide support. And, you know, I feel like you learn a whole new language when you go through this, that, um, is actually quite helpful in, in supporting other people. So, so that's what I do now. <laughs> right. Great. Getting that. Awesome. So, so tell us, go, go way back. Let's go way back before the movie. How, how did you, well, documentary, how did you guys meet, fall in love? I mean, tell us some about your early life way okay. before we ever get to any of these struggles. We met at uh, UC Berkeley where we were both Woo, uh, go Cal, undergraduates. Where I went as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As well. um, you and I graduated the same year, right? Yes. We didn't know each other, but, um, but yeah, big school, but. Yeah, no, we both graduated in 2015. Just kidding, so we don't need ourselves. Still trying to be an adult. Um, Yeah, so we met um, at Cal, and we had two different, very different kinds of classes together. Um, And one was a a history of Buddhism in America, and one was a history of German film, which... When I met Maya, I thought, why would anybody else besides me take those two classes? That's a really good question, actually. Um, well, hold on, hold all on. Right, and then... you, but you figured that you asked that later. The first question, well, here's the thing. You didn't know I was the same girl in both classes. So in the beginning, because I wore glasses in one of the classes, because I, you know, in the film class, I had glasses yeah. on. And he and, literally didn't realize I was the same. And a nose and a wig, I assume, as well. Right. No. Yes. <laughs> Had I known that being a cell right. off by, you know, a pair of glasses, oh, it would have helped me fit Yeah, I was, better, I was wondering which version that he was into. So that's. He liked the glasses. The and glasses. I- it was the Buddhism class. <laughs> was it Buddhism? Yeah. Oh, All right. Well, no, also, the film class I didn't care as much. Yeah. Because it was, and also it was dark in there, so I think you couldn't see. But anyways, I fell asleep put, a lot too. Once you put it together. So we started, so that was 2000, actually, we when we met. And at school, and you know, and I guess part of how it, some of this links to, and we also met our director of photography, who's one of our really good friends, Gabriel. Um, in that same, well, I was in the dorms next door to him, but we all three of us were together in that film class, and that was sort of the beginning of us. And the two of them were both film majors, and so we all, and then we lived together that second year, or my second year, his third year, something like that, and we were all third year, my fourth year. Okay, something like that. But you know, and they always had cameras, and I mean, yeah. they were giant cameras. But they had cameras, and they were, you know, learning to edit. I guess you called it splice, like cut. They were cut. They had these little machines that would cut film, you know. And so we did film projects all the time. So I guess part of 
just our beginnings and how we met laid the foundation of this movie in a way because it felt really normal for us to not only drag Gabe into it, like, hey, we're doing this really intimate thing where we have to, you know, shoot all this footage of really intense, <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. And, this is the memory you know, stuff. Portion. Come on in. <laughs> and also just it made it just seem really normal because that's kind of what we did early on. But, but yeah, we met in 2010 and then we were married in... 2008. We met in 2000. Wait, no, 2000. Oh, we, no sorry. Wow. sorry. Sorry, we met, we met in 2000. <laughs> we, we, I've already felt. So we met in 2000. We were married in 2008 and we'll be coming up on our 10-year anniversary oh, next month. Congratulations. That's great. Right? So we survived. Yay. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the most amazing things about your documentary is that you started from such an early part of your journey, but it could have been so short. Like the doc, who knows? Like you, you didn't know going into it that it would it would go this way. It could. That was the hope. Well, we definitely didn't right? want it to like, go it could this have been way. Like a very, very short way. documentary. Like, oh, and we got. Pregnant. We were aiming for like a six minute short about IVF right. at worst. Yeah. <laughs> the the. I think the initial idea of shooting anything was like, if we were going to do IVF, it would be an interesting video to have for our kid and be like, Oh, isn't this sort of the origins of you kind how, of thing. How yeah. you came to be. But, yeah. And yeah. it was going to be five minutes and it was going to be just for family. And it's the and, only appropriate conception video for a child. To watch. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then it turned into something yeah. much bigger. I have to ask, since you guys just, you said something about like that your friend Gabe has been part of so many intimate moments and things like that. So there's a scene in the movie and I'm just going to refer to it as the bathroom scene. Um, was, was he there? Oh, I yeah. was wondering. No, that, that wasn't there. I thought that was the case, but I was wondering. <laughs> I shot that. that. <laughs> I shot that. <laughs> I, I feel like that scene really embraces like just how intimate a film this is. Do you do you guys want to describe what's happening in this in this scene? <laughs> um. do, do keep in mind that Jen's daughter is our number one fan for this podcast, so just keep it like twelve year old yeah. <laughs> appropriate. Twelve year old appropriate. Well, you sort of have to do a lot of gross things yeah. <laughs> when you're preparing for various, you know fertility treatments or procedures that was I think I was preparing for an HS either the laparoscopy or the HSG I think it was the HSG and I had to do an enema so that was part of our story therefore it was part of what we and you guys went into it as a team there was a team team effort yeah Listen, if I have to do gross things, he has to participate. Is that's <laughs> that's my philosophy. And it was well, like the hard, go, ahead. go ahead. You, husband. The hard part about doing the filmmaking and being the husband at the same time is that you kind of there are moments right. where you have to choose. Yeah. You know, is this is this right to be on camera? Is this yeah, you know, I should I saw be that. like listening and supportive or at the same time and those those moments or those really should I be setting up equipment yeah well those but that's the thing those really difficult moments whether it's um an argument or crying or uh a, an enema um you know like you kind of have to decide like you're having these things where you want to be supportive and want to be a good partner a good husband and at the same time in the back of my head it's like oh this would be a really good scene <laughs> I should get the camera um and so, you know, any procedure stuff, we knew what we would have to do. So, like, the any little thing we we were shooting. Yeah. And, um, and I don't I don't regret shooting it. Yeah. That's, that's well, one of the also, scenes that people go, right. keep going back to. It's like, and they you, have and such you, a visceral uh, reaction to it. I don't regret a thing. 
you put the camera on the floor in sort of the perfect way too. Like it just, I'm you a know, professional. it's like, it was quite good. Uh, no, that was a one shot thing. And then also there was like, there was, there was really interesting sound effects that we did that didn't make it. So I was like, no, please. Can I have some semblance of dignity? But, but in terms of Gabe though, like he shot, you know, anything at the doctor's office, obviously, you know, anything that was more set up, he was, the stuff at home was mostly us. Sometimes he'd come over and, you know, do interviews with us. But for the most part, that stuff was mostly Noah, you know, we did together. Um, But I will say whenever we went to the doctor's office, I was always miked. And then I was also always had to go to the bathroom because <laughs> I just had so much anxiety and I would go to the bathroom and be like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. Gabe, Cause he could hear me. <laughs> so he, while he wasn't part of the enema scene, he got his share of grossness. So. You're welcome. Gabe. Uh, did you, you said it captures even the arguments, although I didn't see, I feel like your, your dis, they were like discussions, like they were kind of like in-depth discussions. Were there like arguments off camera that didn't make it of like yelling or anything kind of more dramatic? I mean, there were, we had 200 hours, 200 plus hours of footage <laughs> um, that ended up being, you know, yeah. 89 minutes. So I'm sure there are well, but, arguments and heated discussions. And, but but at know- the same time, it's like you're, you know, we, we shot as much as we could and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, we didn't keep anything out because yeah. it was too tense or anything. And also like Noah doesn't argue. <laughs> he's just, you know, like, he's just, so anything you see is me going like, well, Noah, and just getting kind of intense and like, you know, yelling. And he is just, he doesn't yell back. Like he's not a yeller or that's not his style. Right. So an argument is one-sided and ends up just me looking insane (laughs) in all fairness looking upset because it was really upsetting right so you know i think what you saw there are moments well i watch and i say oh i was not happy there you could just you can feel the tenseness in my voice or just the frustration of my face you know but we try to that's how we communicate you know i sort of can lose it at times but he's pretty stable i will say that you guys' relationship seems very much like my husband and i's relationship um just so i i could see some of that like just like the way i would be like don't you get how upset i am and he's standing there like yeah i i get it what else what yes. do you want me to do about it? you know <laughs> so i mean that brings me back like i loved your like how you decided that and noah i talked to him already and he says he does not remember this this way but how you decided that you were in love with him and that this was the man you wanted to be your um you know the father of your children so do you do you want to share that story the, the about the, the sandwich Oh yeah. you um, the sound is kind of choppy a little bit for me, but I, I, this is back in college. <laughs> well, I think what, you know, we're, we're very much a case of opposites attract. I think, um, I hope opposites are still attracting this years later, but in college, I mean, Noah was very cute. Not, not saying that he's not cute, but I thought he was, was quite cute. He in college and, um, we ended up living together in this insane house with seven other people. It was just like a. Birth. It was one of the worst mistakes we could make. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, wow. like don't make the fact that our the fact that our relationship somehow survived it is uh, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like we did everything backwards. It's like, you, you know, the real estate market is just so tight up there. You know, I, like right. you know, but it's like you sort of make these decisions. So yeah, relationship decisions based on a tight real estate market are not great. But anyways. He had three roommates. They were looking for a place. Gabe and I had four people and we needed three more. And we were just like, oh, well, I'll live together. And 
Noah and I had separate rooms, but we were kind of dating and I was like super intense. And he was like, I'm just trying to be a guy who goes to school and works at Abercrombie and Fitch. And so it was just <laughs> like really intense, but you know, I, I, I think just emotionally, we've also always been really different. And so I think I was very attracted to his, he's just more subtle and he will kind of weather a storm in a way that is just different than my family <laughs> does or anybody that I related to does. And so there was one moment where, um, you know, we live with just all these different people, but one of our roommates put dish soap into the washing machine instead of hand, hand soap, hand soap. The oh and uh. like I walked into the kitchen and no joke bubbles up to my waist. I was like, what no. is this? And, and Noah is like standing in the middle of all this, like eating a sandwich. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? And he's just like real casual. And he's like, Ian put dish soap or hand soap in the dishwasher. And I was like, Okay, but like, there's water every like the place is flooding. There's water everywhere. He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, gotta take care of that. And I was like, well, are you gonna do something, right? It's like, you know, and and I was like, what are you eating, right? And he and he's like, bread sandwich. I'm like, what what is happening right now? Like, he's eating two pieces of bread smushed together, standing, <laughs> literally standing in these like balloon pant these cargo pant kind of shorts you know just sort of avoiding getting really wet and I just had this moment where I was like this guy is insane and I kind of love him and want to have a family with him one day I feel feel like I think most people would have the opposite (laughs) reaction to that scene but because he just he just like wasn't he wasn't rocked and I think that's something I just appreciate about him, that he's just not a guy that gets rocked by things. Like, yeah. figure it out. Or if he does, he doesn't ever show it. But, um, you know, so, you know, we and ended up walking a, away. That's a great trait going into a very difficult journey like this. I think going into anything and ha- I mean, if I had somebody as a partner who was emotionally matched, there would have been like the house would have been on fire, like something, you know, so I think I'm just very grateful. But, you know, I think you also honestly, you don't know. I didn't really know that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. But it was just this moment of like okay, things are going to be okay. And it is okay to walk away from it and let, no, let Ian deal with it. And we'll just, you know, pretend. And we just like left. Right. <laughs> we just like walked away. Ian, it's your problem. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think Gabe ended it. up dealing with it. Gabe was kind of the house dad, but you know, but you know, I think there are just little moments like that. And I think that it, that's, that's the foundation of who Noah is not irresponsible, but just chill. Right. So you guys, I mean, obviously needed him to be your rock through a lot. Um, yeah. So kind of fast forward, how much medical, how, how many medical procedures did you have to go through? How many IVFs, retrievals, procedures, I mean, whatever number of things, how, how much of this has he had to kind of endure? And I'll say, I'll, I'll say it, the crazy train of hormones through, you know? Yeah. Um. Well, so initially, you know, you always, what I, mean, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of people start with that gateway drug, uh, Clomid. And I have to say, I think that was the worst for me, even oh, though all yeah. the other stuff is so much like, I was so, I felt so insane. And it was also at this really it's like hard time for us because we were just unexplained. And I think, yeah. you know, unexplained is, 
I, I don't want to say harder, but it's just so frustrating. When you have a diagnosis, eventually I, I got a diagnosis, not that I was like fishing for one, but at least I go, okay, well, that makes sense. At least a little bit I can understand. And it did, the diagnosis itself you know, didn't actually make sense for somebody my age, but, you know, but at least there's something explaining why this wasn't working. When you're something, people are telling me like, look how healthy you are. You do yoga. You're only 30, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, but I've been doing this for two years now, you know? So we, we did two years or 18 tries, um, just naturally. And we had some preliminary tests done and I, and, and then a couple rounds of Clomid and the Clomid hormonally was the worst for me. That's funny. Like, <laughs> we, we did another interview with this woman who was a surrogate multiple times. And she talked about when she was on Clomid and her, I think her phrase was like, how could you get pregnant oh, on this? No. I didn't even want to have sex with myself on Clomid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, I was like, I mean, my, I brought my dad to tears at one Like my dad was crying. <laughs> like he was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm going to have to be like in an institution. <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening right now, but you know, anyway, so, and so in terms of how many procedures we did, um, well, and then we had a lot of testing, right? So do you count multiple HSPs as procedures? I had sure. a laparoscopic surgery to look Animal. at my... Yeah, it's like, do, I had the laparoscopy to see if I had endometriosis or if my... Because I had like weird things with my tubes. And it was so confusing because one thing would show one tube, the other thing would show nothing. And then I had finally another one and both my tubes were there. So I was like, what is this? Like, it was just so confusing. So we, you know, we did a lot of that kind of stuff, um, procedures and whatnot. What we didn't show fully in, so in terms of egg retrieval, I only did one round of IVF with my own body. Um, And that was... I'm a, I have diminished ovarian reserve and yeah. we just didn't, right. you know, so I did and because three, after the first I, one, the doctor was like, it's not worth to try another one. Is that, yeah. It was like, do you want to spend 20 grand to maybe get an egg, you know? And I was like, oh, or maybe uh, not. Yeah. yeah. It was like, I don't, I don't want to spend 20 grand <laughs> to do right. that. But we did, um, three inseminations fully loaded on medication. Um, and then we did the IVF on our own with my body Mm -hmm. retrieval. And then we did, um, another donor situation. And then we had a couple transfers from that. So, you know, all in all, I don't know, 10 different invasive things, not to mention. It always seemed like we were gearing up for something, Yeah, right. you know, something didn't work and then we would either have to regroup or, you know, take the next step right. in the evolution of all this. And not to give too much of the film away, but those are very, I mean, those are difficult decisions involving a lot of people and your, you know, a lot of input about going to donor and how that plays out and kind of then going another step further. And I mean, there's just a lot to your journey. Yeah. And I don't think it's something you kind of start out thinking is going to happen. You know, some of these decisions, it's, you know, and I talk to people about this all the time. It's like, well, how did you become okay with this or letting go of this part and whatever else? And it's kind of like, everybody's got their own process, but you, you sort of have to, one door's got to shut before another one opens in a way. And so I think it's, you know, for some people, they would do six rounds of IVF because that's what they need to do to feel like they've done everything they could. For me, that one, you know, the, the IUIs and, and that one round was enough evidence and the two plus years of trying in other ways, you know, naturally in Colombia, whatever, 
that was enough evidence that I was pushing my body too far in a way that it just, it, it might not, you know, maybe if I did two more rounds of IVF, it would have worked, but it just, I was, I didn't respond well to the meds. I could see that it just, my body didn't like this, you know? Yeah. So, and um, just in case people are already like bummed out and be like, oh, this is a, this is depressing. Can we just go ahead and like tell that there is a happy ending to, to the story? There's a happy ending. What, we resolve the crisis. It's <laughs> a happy ending. You're asking me? Yeah. Without, no, I, <laughs> I know, but like you could choose to give how much you want to give at the ending, but. What do you think, Noah? Well, we, we do have a child. Woo! So we can say that. <laughs> and, you know, we had to let go of various parts of ourselves in order to have this child. And um, my happy ending is that my husband didn't leave me. Oh, <laughs> and, oh. I was like, that and the fact that, you know, we have a really incredible three-year-old yeah. little girl who, you know, we, we couldn't imagine any other person in our lives any other way. But, you know, had we known this was how we'd get her we, we, I mean, we just, we couldn't have fathomed, we didn't even know the option that we ended up choosing existed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, it was quite an education. So I, I again, I don't want to give away things. I'd rather let people go look at it, but I, there's a lot of uh, kind of value around right now about anonymity in donor processes. And I would actually love to hear your thoughts on, you know, on whether gametes that are anonymous, how do you feel about that? If you dealt with a donor, how have you looked for a donor? You know, have you done any of those things that people kind of think about in the back of their minds when you're dealing with donor gametes? Yeah. Um, well, I have a lot to say about this piece, but Noah, <laughs> do you want to chime in first or? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I you know, Maya brings up like, had we landed on you know, the way we got our, way we got our daughter, I guess, the way uh, we, we ended up, you should stretch. All right. I don't know <laughs> um, no, I think, um, I think because of everything we went through leading up to, um, you know, how we finally got our daughter, um, anonymity didn't, didn't feel like a thing for us, you know, this whole film and us going through it and Maya's blog and me learning to like talk about this with people, like once you start talking about it, once you start having a conversation about everything you're getting, you're going through to me, when you're talking about being anonymous, it's like, why? And I, I, I you're understand. You're talking about us as anonymous. That's no, yeah. but I think everything, I think everything, <laughs> I think okay. it's, it's us being quiet, but I think being anonymous is, um, for the recipient of an embryo or an egg or whatever, um, you know, I, I think you, you need to be able to go into that being comfortable talking to your child and talking to your family about, uh, about that. And hopefully the donor side of things like, you know, I feel like anonymity is in the way in a lot of it, you know, if, um, if you have a donor and there are health concerns or, you know, your kid gets sick or the donor gets cancer, like those to me feel like things that need to connect between donor and recipient and anonymity gets in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's not just, I think when people think 
not being anonymous. They think like, <laughs> oh, well, we'll all be best friends and you're going to have a second family and all of this. And I don't think that's what it's about. Yeah. I think it's about having an open line of communication and open line of understanding for your kid yeah. um, of where they came from. And, and also, you know, if there are health risks or health problems that pop up um, that you, you know, you have that open line of communication to that person. Well, and I think it's more importantly, what is it for that child? Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I think there are a couple of things with anonymity that are problematic. One is it's not possible anymore. Just with the DNA testing and with you, you're, if you're getting an egg donor and you've got 25 pictures of a 22 year old girl and their face, and you know their date of birth or approximate date of birth, and what they're wearing a satchel that says USC graduate or so, like, give me a break. Like, you're it's false advertising to tell these women that they're going to be anonymous. So, I think there's a big education piece, and you know, that it just it's a problem because people are doing 23andMe at young ages and they'll find out that they've got they're related to people and connect and it's just not feasible anymore to keep the model of anonymity going so i think that's like one piece in terms of being sort of fully disclosing to everybody what the reality is of our day and age and technology but i think anonymity equals secrets and that equals shame and i think a big part of what's the problem with infertility in general or the you know, the feelings that come up is the feeling of shame. And, you know, it's, you can be very grateful to have a donor. Um, but if there's secrets around it, or if people aren't choosing not to tell their kids, then you're sort of building relationships based on secrets. And eventually these secrets come out. So it's kind of not possible to keep these secrets. Right. So the best practice is, you know, now that I, I am a part of, you know, ASRM and mental health groups and, you know, whatever else it's that, you know, it's like, the best practices are to disclose to your child, you know, where they come from in an age appropriate way and to be able to, you know, they, that they have a right to that information. Yeah. So, you know, if you tell a kid you're, you know, you were made by an egg donor or sperm donor, but then you have nothing else to give yeah. them, you know, then the curiosity. So what is that like for a child? And a lot of the children who are, you know, the first kids born through egg donation are hitting 30s, their 30s and 40s. Sperm donation has been around longer, but egg donation, you know, so these are now adults. And there are sometimes there could be missing pieces for these people. And so I think that there just needs to be more education on to both sides. Like, what does it mean to, to disclose? Like Noah said, it doesn't mean everybody has to get together for holidays. It's just knowing and understanding where you come from, because that's a piece for people that sometimes can feel missing. You right. Know? Adoption, adoption moved to yeah. this, right? Before adoption was like a black box adoption, a baby would show up or you go through an agency or all the young girls would go to a house and the babies would be born and then they'd be adopted out, right? But now the model is open adoption because they found that it's better for the mental health of mm -hmm. the child. So why not create a system that is better for the health of the child, right. right? So it's like reproductive rights and children's rights don't have to conflict when it comes to this. But I think with anonymity, it and does. And that's really interesting applied to your situation. And I am, I am yeah. going to now be open and not, you know, hide secrets from the, about the film. I promise it's still amazing and worth watching to see the journey, but <laughs> you ultimately go with an embryo donation. And 
um, if you don't mind. I mean, I have to give that away to talk about it, which I, it's kind of, yeah, kind of okay. part of this, this discussion to ask those questions. Um, so, right. And it's yeah, and that's part of it. So, so you do not yeah. know the identity of those, those gamete yeah. donors and how, so how, with what you just said, how, how do you approach that? Like, what do you tell your daughter and kind of what is your, your vision for the future of whether you, you find those people or can you? Yeah. <laughs> well, for starters, we, yeah. I mean, from the beginning, we felt like we, it was important for her not to know, like, the moment that she learned where she came from, you know, it's like, we, yeah. we made little books uh, about how. It's know, part of her story. Yeah. That she yeah. was made in a special way and very kind people gave parts of their bodies so that she could be here, right? Age appropriate. Yeah. Do you make like a custom book that tells the story? Yeah. 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 We just made little books. I know we should try to like, I feel like we should make templates for people. You should. Or something I like think that. people would love I know. that. We, there's a lot of things. And honestly, this, this, I, this idea and will we find her, she's got multiple siblings and different things that it's a piece of another project, another film project documentary that I'm hoping to, bring to light in some way though my, yes. my husband wants to kill me I <laughs> well I will tell you I another have... I will tell you another episode that we have that's coming out shortly before when we play this one is a woman who used donor sperm and now has like this great connection with the dibling they call them diblings the donors yeah. where they've kind of built this network and this understanding of like family yeah. and relationships it's really kind of wonderful this like new world yeah. And we're, you know, we're showing the film um, with this great art exhibit called The Art of Infertility out here in LA in Venice on June 9th as part of the opening of the exhibit. And one of the people that's in our movie, so this woman, Jasmine, she had, she created uh, embryos from egg donor and sperm donor and then donated her leftover or remaining embryos to another family. And that family is going to be there. They, you know, so it's like, there's just so many different ways to do it. And, you know, so that's, she's going to be part of this panel that we're on, you know, talking about sort of this creation of modern families and what that means. But, you know, we've, we've like Noah was saying, we've talked about, um, you know, we don't talk about it a lot because it's just not in the forefront and she's three, but you know, she, we have little books and she knows that she was made in a special way. And we, you know, I'm sort of in the process of making another book for when she's a little bit older and, and stuff like that. And so she just has this story in terms of wanting to find her siblings. I, I think she has the right to, to find that there's, you know, there's the donor sibling registry, which a woman named Wendy Kramer created yes. and, She's you a Colorado. We know her well. <laughs> yeah, you know Wendy. Yes. So, but but that's not until she's a bit older. So I, you know, I'm a bit determined to try to sort some of this stuff out on the earlier end, and I'm curious about you know the clinic's policies and why they're in place, and you know, kind of the larger issues around anonymity. But yeah, we'd love to have connections. So if you are a five foot eleven Norwegian egg donor from Seattle, <laughs> please, right? please feel shout us. out there. Please feel free to email. <laughs> I love it. But you know, but we know she has half siblings and you know one full genetic brother, five years older. Right. And were the so the embryo that you received? Did they the prior owner the prior? Uh, yeah, owner of the embryo developer, developer. Did they use a donor, or was it their own gametes? Does that does that make sense? Like, did they did, did a couple yeah. go through IVF and have leftover embryos, or did the couple 
have a donor for them and then okay so even more like intricate interesting yeah and that donor had three of her own children I believe so you know and and might have been a shared donor and might have donated multiple times we don't know all the information but we but I think what what made it you know we felt confident that whatever challenges or curiosities or whatever kind of came our way in terms of how our daughter felt that we would be able to navigate that with her. So we just felt like, you know, yes, there are some missing pieces, but we also were very grateful for the gift of, you know, her life essentially that, you know, these people were willing to, to donate. And cause that's not the first choice, you know, there's a million plus embryos in storage around this country and, you know, donating them to another couple is not the first choice for, for what happens to them. A lot of people. So we're very, very appreciative of that. And that outweighed, you know, whatever challenges might come up. Uh, And part of, I feel like part of your story is how your family is so involved in your journey. Do you, can you speak to kind of their feelings when you went to embryo donation, partially just because there is kind of a sense of like legacy and biological continuation that often comes with having DNA passed on to a child? I, they didn't. They were just like, we need to get this this woman a baby before. Yeah. Like, like my dad. I mean, we had other things, but we were chasing a baby in oh, Ghana. Wow. Was like we were looking at adopting. Like yeah. there were other pieces to this too. That like I read a story about a baby left under a bridge. I mean, it was like it was kind of insane. Like there's a lot of pieces, but my parents were very open to adoption and i mean who at the end of the day it's like we got to a place where it's like what are we holding on to with like legacy genetic i mean a a family's a family kids are kids you know you love people and i mean if you saw my parents (laughs) with this child (laughs) you know and it's funny because people will say oh she looks just like your dad or or something like that (laughs) but they love her more than anything imaginable and i don't there's not a moment that they think about her genetics except that she is blonde and super tall <laughs> well at three <laughs> and i have neither of those things oh well you know that's all right mine is biologically mine and she is also blonde and super tall and neither of us are blonde or tall so okay. we don't know how that happened <laughs> right? that things happens happen. to anybody <laughs> um, so talk about your pregnancy yeah obviously okay yay we know you got pregnant and yeah but everybody has this super excited like expectation of what pregnancy is going to be like what, what was it like for you <laughs> Softball. Noah, you want to take it? Well, if if we thought that all the experiences of the you know the three or four years before that would would lead to a like oh you've earned this you've earned this calm nice pregnancy like if anybody like earned the right to enjoy <laughs> pregnancy it was Maya and all of this. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, I mean, even what was the first Uh, 10 weeks, it was was like scary. It was day to day on some of this stuff. And um, we doubled up on the progesterone shots for a time. Well, basically what happened medically, I guess um, we can clarify. So we, you know, we got very low beta numbers. It was a 23 was my first beta. And so I was sort of told to prepare for this being a chemical pregnancy or we could go either way. We don't know, you know, so I was just testing constantly. And then, you know, it's like the sack, the shape of the sack was oblong and not circular. There was just all these other little things here and there. And then finally we saw a heartbeat at whatever it was, six, seven weeks. 
Um, and but there was also a giant subchorionic hematoma that was oh. surrounding the embryo. So it was oh. like, and I was like, oh my god! Actually, what happened was before we saw the hematoma is I woke up in the middle of the night. So we had all these low numbers and stuff, and I was just like gushing blood. Oh. And we didn't. Know, we were like, should we get a plastic bag? Do we like dig? Like uh, we did. We just didn't know what was happening. And I was like, okay, this is. I'm done. Like what else? You know. And then, but we went and we saw the heartbeat, but we saw this hematoma. Oh, wow! And then the doctor just said lie down, don't move. <laughs> so oh, I did that yeah. for, I think it resolved within a month. Um, but you know, the only time I moved was kind of going back to him and checking on it. And it was just, there were just nights where it was just, I was just gushing blood. And I was like, is this it? Is there something, does this look chunkier? I mean, you're just like, you don't know what's happening. And so finally that did resolve. And then my sister <sighs> got married around, I, th- I think like when I was oh my God. So, like 12 weeks or something. So we went to her we- wedding. And oh, wow. so I got cleared right before the wedding. I thought I wasn't gonna be able to go and I was okay. So we went to the wedding and I came back and I went back to work. So I had to take a leave from work. And then within right after that, so it was, I think I was 14 weeks. I was sitting in my office and all of a sudden I got a really sharp pain in my privates and then gushing blood through my pants. And I was like, okay so i would and and i i worked i worked at a it was this um non-profit that was attached to a hospital so i actually just they called the fire department and i was like i am not being carried out here bleeding through my pants on a stretcher by the firemen like i so i just hysterically crying girlfriend who was in the film my friend gladys um we just walked together. We like shoved paper towel in my pants. She gave me her sweatshirt around my waist and we just like walked to the, to the hospital, to the emergency room. And, you know, I was, I had placenta previa. So I had a very low lying placenta and it was bleeding because it was right over the cervix. And then, but the baby was fine. And I think after that, 14 weeks, I was like, F this, this baby's coming. (laughs) We are doing this. Like I'm, you know, but I continued to bleed throughout and it was just very hard. So I ended up being on bed rest for probably about five months of the pregnancy. Um, kind of. Have you seen every, every Netflix series ever? I think I, I watched like all of Orange is the New Black in a oh, day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but it, it was, it sucked. I was just like, this is not right. what's supposed to happen. This isn't wow. fair, you know, and like none of this is about yeah. fairness or deserving or any of it, you know, and, you know, then we assumed I'd have this really beautiful birth and that I, I instead I nearly died. So like that didn't happen either. Oh my God. <laughs> so wow. like, we, didn't, we didn't show a lot of that in the movie because right. it was just like, oh so my God, did- enough already. Like it just became like <sighs> ridiculous. But um, uh, yeah, but you know, we got a great kid. So so you so ultimately right. you get the best kid out of it. <laughs> you get like, the best kid. Has to, has to even out somewhere. Like, so. But no. yeah, <laughs> it was like... I was, like, I was like this is not okay <laughs> like this is not yeah. good but yeah I had a I had placenta accreta so that was sort of my uh, birth situation so it's like I got her out and, and I had to go into surgery yeah I know that's that's who's making it all the hotness I guess <laughs> but let me tell you it is not hot I was like you, you were the trendsetter yeah <laughs> I was like oh my god so anyways but she's here everybody's okay and we so, and I have to ask this, and I did not see this as part of, I read in your blog or anything yeah. like that, but he was a psychotherapist. I think this, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. And, you know, I, I can admit, and I'm open about this, that I also went through infertility and, you know, I have one child, hard fought one. 
And after she was born, I had major postpartum depression and I felt really guilty about having postpartum depression because this was my longed for child. I'm supposed to be, everything is supposed to be sunshine and rainbows. And did you have something similar or just even from a a psychotherapist, you know, perspective of words of advice for people who go through that? Yeah. Did you finally get lucky? (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's, and I think what happens too is, you know, what you hear when you're trying to get pregnant and you can't is just relax. And what you hear when you finally have your kid and you're complaining or you're sad or you're exhausted beyond belief is, well, this is what you wanted, right? So it's, it's balancing that. Um, I, I had a lot of anxiety, um, you know, but yeah, you're, it's like, I think what's really hard is when you go through infertility and then you have a, a child, well, okay, let's say having a child in general is an identity shift for a couple, right? It, and so, and there's loss in that. You're no longer a couple. You're no longer, a, you know, a single person. You're no longer, you know, just like an, an individual. It's like you're, you're coming to this very coveted role of being a mother or, or parents, but at the same time, there's also there's a loss and there's transition and there's this little tiny creature who you have to keep alive, you know, that happens normally or just kind of in your average couple. And, and of course there's joys and excitement too. And, and I think when you go through years of trying and, and loss and trauma and all this other stuff that you're kind of at a deficit, you're, you're at an emotional deficit in some way. And you're feeling like I work so hard. I should, X, Y, and Z. I should be happier. I should be more this. I should be, you know, bonding. And when you have a kid that either you didn't carry or, you know, is adopted through surrogate or genetically not yours, other stuff can come up. You know, it's one of the people we featured in our film, Candace adopted. And she felt when the baby was crying that he knows he's, I, I didn't carry him. He's, you know, it's like, you know, so these other thoughts of inadequacy or I'm not good enough. Um, I think I had a lot of feelings uh, and I still do sometimes of that. I'm not worthy of this child somehow, you know? So it's like, you have to get back to feelings of to, to yourself in some way, but things are just moving really fast and you've got a lot of take. And, and for me, I think what was overwhelming was the, just the anxiety about, you know, is it, is it one degree too cold or too warm in her room? And, you know, like I, I had so much, responsibility to like, make sure she was okay, you know, and then I defined that right per what I thought was okay, right. you know, and there was no space for anything else. And I think you kind of get really locked into certain things. So, you know, I think the postpartum depression and anxiety are really, really common. And, you know, people don't like to talk about it. And I think there's just very, there's a lot of transition and it's, it can be really, really hard for people. And there shouldn't be shame in that too. I mean, look, you've already had to deal with feelings of shame when your body doesn't work the way it's supposed to, or you don't have this or you're traumatized, you know, whatever else it's like, then you finally get there and to also feel shame that you are angry sometimes or sad sometimes like that's, you know, I think we need to do a better job as a culture of normalizing that for people and, and getting support and education. I agree. And one way to get education and learn is to watch your film, yeah. um, as well as um, follow your blog. Do you do you mind kind of summarizing like all those resources that you guys have kind of put out there if people want to learn more about you and your story? Um, and then I'd love to hear like there's so many takeaways. If you had like one kind of message of hope, what that would be? Okay, uh, Noah, do you want to do the film sites <laughs> or? Um, yeah, the uh, <clears throat> sorry. The best place to find us, I think, is um, on the Facebook page, which you can just search uh, One More Shot Film. 
and oh, then um, I'll do that right now. One more shot film.com <laughs> is our main site. But um, we found that uh, the Facebook page uh, people are interacting and sharing their stories and it's starting to feel like a, a little bit of a hub for people um, who are, have seen the movie, but are also still going through their own stuff. Um, I, and so I just signed up right now. You just got one it. more follower. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about the, the conversations that are going on on the, on the Facebook page. Um, you know, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter and all of that, but, um, and then the film is around, we're around, the film is on Netflix. So that's the easiest place to watch it. It's also on iTunes. And if you're out of the country, well, it's on Netflix in a lot of countries, but, um, for some, if you're, if you're not in a traditionally English speaking (laughs) country um, or Netflix hasn't made it to you yet, then, uh, Vimeo on demand is your best best shot. Um, Amazon iTunes. You yeah, haven't done translated voiceovers yet of yourselves. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Actually, didn't Poland want us to do that? We were like, oh my god, <laughs> like I don't think we could. Yeah, do that. we uh, no, it was the, so oh, the yeah, it was festival. Poland. Yeah, it was in yeah, Poland. Yeah, they wanted us to translate it. I was like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> like, sorry. We're good. Um, but then, and then I'm my. I have a website. It's just my name, MayaGrobel.com, and there's information there and um, information about us and a little bit about the movie too. My blog is called Don't Count Your Eggs, and I, 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 think, it's, I think it's helpful. I'll keep it up. I, ha- I haven't been writing as frequently, obviously, as I did, but I do update, I would say, monthly. But, um, but all, the whole story is there, and I think it is helpful for some people to read, go, like, dig back, <laughs> way back, because you see this process, you know, and that's, and that's what I think the film is, too. It's seeing a process. And for us, really, this is our trauma narrative in a lot of ways. You know, you see, and I think the, the message, while there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot, a lot of downs are, are hard parts, the message of hope is really if you are open, if you're able to find a way to be open to how your child comes to you, you, you will resolve your crisis in some way. You know, I, I do believe that deciding to live child free is also a resolution, you know, to the infertility crisis that some people choose and that's, or it's like child free, not by choice. Right. So it's not, it's not choosing necessarily, but it's, it's coming to terms. It's sort of having faith that you're, you're going to be able to get through it no matter what you end up deciding is the best thing for you, you know? And I think it's just, um, I think for us learning about the different ways families can come together, different ways babies can be made and really sitting with and understanding more what all these things mean. What do genetics mean? What does carrying a pregnancy mean? You know, what does it mean to the larger family? What does it mean to have, you know, this, that, and the other? So it's like, once you kind of process some of these things and if you're open, you, you will be able to move forward, you know? So I think that's that for me, that's the biggest takeaway. How about you now? Um, I think it's being able to talk about all of this stuff. Um, I, I went into this situation, I think as a lot of like husbands and partners do, it's just like, let's just fix it and move on and be done with it. And, you know, you sink into this and I realize as somebody that isn't like super outgoing and talking about my feelings, um, that you can't bottle this stuff up forever and you you have to be able to talk about it and any any fear that you have about discussing what you're going through especially like as the husband um 
it's not as bad as you think when you talk about it, when you tell somebody about it, when you tell a friend about it, um, really all you're looking for is somebody to be like, Oh, that sucks. And just to like sit in, in the feeling bad Mm -hmm. with you for a minute, doesn't have to get fixed. You don't have to get advice. Most of the times you don't want advice, but talking about it with people, talking about it with your friends, I admit that probably I probably went to the nth degree to like make a movie <laughs> about it because um, that that but seriously that forced me to talk about it because then it's like no what are you working on oh I'm doing this thing what's it about you know it's like even if I couldn't naturally insert into conversation like oh we're having a tough yeah. time having a baby you can't you're not hiding away that you're making a movie um, and now it's like I'm so proud of what we did with the film and uh, everything that you know, it took to get here, that's on my resume. And so I'm a, I produce TV shows. And so when I go in to talk to companies about producing a TV show and they say, Oh, one more shot. What's that? Mm -hmm. You're telling a total stranger that you met five minutes ago. Oh, I made a documentary about, you know, four years of not being able to have a baby and everything we went through. And, um, and yeah, that changes the conversation in the room a lot of times, but you know, it's, it's so, it's so personal. And I think it's so important that, um, you know, you get to a place where you're comfortable talking about it or having, and, and also having an outlet for it. Yeah. And so for me, making the film serve both of those, uh, goals. Well, you guys have no idea how much we appreciate that you have shared this personal outlet with us. And I hope that we are able to bring even more people to see your story. So everybody out there, go watch one more shot. Thank you. And I'll just say one more thing. If you're in LA in June, come to the Art of Infertility. Come to the exhibit June 9th. So we'll be showing it on a bigger screen and because it's not, (laughs) you know, it's on a big screen to come full circle. Yeah. so if you're you can check that's art of art of org has all that information too so awesome. if you're around we'd love to meet you wonderful thank you thanks guys. you guys this was great thank you take care okay bye. thanks lesson of the day so much to take away from them but i guess that you should you know it really can pay off to give it one more shot <laughs> but, uh, you know they go through this long story and they could have given up at any point. And as you'll see, when you watch the documentary, one more shot, there were so many, so many times they could have, could have given up and they didn't. And it's really nice that there is a happy ending and, you know, being open to options and, um, doing it together as a family really can, can pay off and reach that goal in the end. Yeah, no, they have such an incredible, loving and warm family. It's been incredible and a pleasure to watch them and talk to them. So I, I, I've loved this one. So I, I love all of them. What am I talking about? Why do I even say that? I sh- I, the, these words should be out of our, our vocabulary. We love everybody who comes <laughs> on our show. So, um, but we would also love it if you would review us on iTunes because you know, we, we like to feel that love as well. Um, we also love to hear from people. If you want to give us a call and leave us a message at 303, 997-1903. We uh, enjoy getting that feedback. And uh, also via email and via carrier pigeon, smoke signals. We, we like to hear from people no matter how you want to reach out to us. A uh, huge thanks to Chris at Work at Bird Studios for always, always making a sound really wonderful. And we appreciate him and we appreciate all of you for listening. Thanks so much. <laughs> and go watch one more shot. Spread the word. Yay! Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.